Are we recording? I think we're recording. Yep. Okay. Okay, so we're going to try to have this conversation that we just had. I feel like we should just be honest with the audience, uh, the listener, because it might seem a little stilted as we try to go through a conversation that we just had. Well, there's going to be some... We're in the kitchen. Yeah. Cutting food. There might be a lot of kitchen noise in a second. Oh, well, you know, we'll see. And Oko's harassing Ella, so there's that. No. Um... Okay, so you were telling me you were driving home and you heard Michael Eric Dyson talking. Yeah. And that was, like, really irritating you. And I think that's kind of where we started our yeah. talk. So you want me to say what was irritating me about it? Yeah. Stuff? Well, it was, like, it wasn't the worst because he was talking about whiteness and stuff. Right. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. You told me about that. We talked a bit about how it's really irritating that um, it's like clap like like Hillary people still pit like race yeah. and well, like, sex and whatever like Michael Eric, class. So Michael Eric Dyson is talking about whiteness, and I thought, oh, this this will be great. I love listening to things like this, but um, I only got to listen to a few minutes before I got home, and that whole few minutes was about, like, defending Hillary and attacking Bernie. So he was talking about, oh, after this last election, there are people who say, um, like Bernie Sanders, that we have to stop focusing on identity politics, that it's uh, that we need to talk about Goldman Sachs and bankers and the economy, that it's too easy to talk about race. And he was like, guffaw. Like, it's so yeah. easy to talk about race. And Dyson's right that, like, most white people don't think of themselves as white, it's invisible, they don't grapple with being white or what that means, and that is a problem. But then, <laughs> I don't know. For example, he was like, uh, Bernie, okay, this hold might on. not work. I might, I'll just, better yeah there's a bone that's a hot commodity in this house right now so dyson was talking about um oh people are saying we need to pay attention to the white working class in the democratic party but there's also a black working class and a brown working class and um you know a native american working class and they have all sorts of problems native americans yeah and uh it was just upsetting to me because the thing is uh, solidarity. Yeah. Like, to say that there are all these different working classes, then you're just proposing that same old model of politics that uh, I learned of it um, as interest group politics. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Republicans have an interest group of social conservatives and people who hate gay people and racists and business people. Yeah. And on the other hand, we have, you know, people who group in the Democratic Party, a coalition of different interest groups who have their own interests, and they include brown people and black people and teachers. Women, yeah. Women and unions. Yeah. So there's no model of solidarity. Yeah. He was like saying, Bernie Sanders is not saying we need to court the white working class. Yeah. He's saying we need to talk to the working class. Yeah. And Michael Eric Dyson instead was saying, like, there's not one working class. There are a bunch of different working classes. Yeah. As if they don't have, like more in common than they have yeah exactly different. exactly 
they certainly have more in common with each other than they have with like a rich political pundit like Michael Eric Dyson. <laughs> yeah. Um, Academic. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's like on MSNBC all the time. He's hosted his show. Yeah, that's true. Like, he doesn't he's making, have... He's making that TV money. Yeah. He does, most academics probably have he, less yeah, in common with Yeah, and his books than... are like, you know, they're... They sell out, like, they're not just, yeah. you know, an academic putting a book out into the yeah. wilderness really, hoping someone notices. Really, academics now need to, like, have solidarity with working class people yeah. because they are facing the same obstacles, yeah. like contract labor, um, a lack of benefits. They're keeping you under 40 hours a week. You have to take out two jobs just to be a professor. Of course, there's normally a distance, right, because being a professor is of a high, higher social class. Yeah. But yeah, but if you're a celebrity like, like Michael Eric Dyson, your yeah. reality is much different. Um, yeah, so we were kind of talking about that and talking about like the idea of class versus race and sex and things like that. And we were talking about how um, even though like obviously we all, I think a lot of people, especially in 2016, have heard of the idea of, like, white privilege, and I think a lot of people really do understand it. Um, It's still, at least on some basic level, it's still obviously, like, really hard for a lot of people, especially when that intersects with a lower, like, or working class status, Mm -hmm. uh, for people to, like, feel that they actually have any kind of privilege. Not only because um, they're, like, disadvantaged and in terms of their uh, social class, but also because um, we live in an age of such wealth disparity that it's really difficult not to notice that there are people with just, you know, many standard deviations, of, like more privilege mm-hmm. than you, um, that it, it feels like ridiculous to tell a poor person like in Youngstown that's white that they have any kind of privilege when they see, you know, Bill Gates or, yeah. like, uh, Obama's been, like, vacationing with the guy that owns uh, Virgin Mobile yeah. and stuff, and they're, like, on private islands that he, he owns. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, the idea... Of owning an island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the idea that, like... Or they probably jetted there on the plane company that he owns, <laughs> you know? like So the idea that, you know, this person, in, this white person in Youngstown has any kind of privilege probably feels pretty laughable to them um and and i think beyond sort of like just that general kind of discrepancy about white privilege it's also it is just really hard to look like past your own life experience and understand anybody else's really truly like i mean we try to obviously but you know i think like what you were saying was that'd be better if we talked about like yeah disadvantages that other people have versus telling people that they have an advantage that they can't really see or feel on this radio program i forget if it was michael dyson or the host it was uh that alternative news radio or something like that it has some really generic title so i always forget what it is but it plays on the local station here sometimes and uh one of those two was talking about how a lot of white people haven't dealt with the fact that being white brings you certain advantages and i think at least in terms of like communication and proselytizing, we should talk instead about the disadvantages of not being white. Yeah. Because uh, you, can, I don't know. I think we said it better before. What did we say? Well, before? because okay, here's one of the things that I comes to mind for me is like, I think when we talk about it, 
in terms of privilege and like advantage and stuff like that although possibly maybe even if we tried to talk about it as disadvantage i think in general one of the reasons i don't while i think it's useful to like recognize this for yourself personally i'm not sure it's very helpful in terms of like a larger political movement because i feel like what happens is what you're talking about earlier is a breakdown in solidarity and instead a focus on sort of like oppression olympics where it's like well you know my mom came here and she barely spoke any English, and no one would uh, return her, you know, job interview phone yeah. calls and stuff because she'd call with an accent. Her name was like Vesna, which no one's ever heard yeah. of. You're talking about it yourself. Yeah, and yeah. you know, she came here with like no, not any kind of real money for know. you know for America. But you guys and, are white. Well, that's what I Sorry. exactly. So it's like you know, did am I? Did was she? more or less advantaged than a black person living in the inner city who, while their name is Jamal, they may also not get as many callbacks for a job interview, does speak English and is more familiar as like a general, as part of a general group to the interviewer. Like Mm -hmm. the interviewer may prefer, okay, at least we, this is a known entity, a black American versus where the hell is Macedonia? Like, who is this person? Is she a a suicide bomb? I mean, people, seriously, though, people, like, start to, I mean, I get profiled all the time because people see a J in my name and think that I'm Muslim, like, at at airports and stuff. Texas cops harassing you and your dad asking, who are you? Where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah, are you legal? Are you legal citizens? Yeah, you were driving to college. You had all your stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. They, like, harassed you and separated you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm white. I don't really think of myself as, I agree that I have a lot of privilege. I think even just, like, where I grew up gave me even more than white privilege, I think a lot of, like, social capital and, like, that kind of privilege that's very difficult, I think, to acquire, like, kind of, like, more class privilege. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what confers more privilege upon you, being white or going to, like, an upper-class suburban high school, right? Yeah, totally. And learning how to behave in a way that's acceptable for that class. Because then when you go in an interview, you read as, like, upper-class, you you know, know how to dress properly. You knew what to do to college, at college when you got there. Yeah. I did not. Yeah. Um, So that's why I think this kind of breaks down solidarity, though. It's because it's like, well, should my mom be like, no, I'm more impressed than you, inner city black person? Or is it more important that both of them were not getting hired because of, like, institutional ideas about what it is to be an American and what's considered an appropriate, Mm -hmm. like, worker for this position is a you know good old white man or whatever i will say to be fair a lot of that stuff is subjective well first you know we're mentioning your suburb that you grew up in we should also mention that it was really hard for black people to buy houses there yeah, until no, like the definitely. 90s or yeah. late 90s. Yeah, I mean, there was, um, I know I had teachers tell us that like one of the reasons there weren't a lot of black people in that community was because um, houses had been passed down like from, mm. fam- from like yeah. grandparents, like basically giving it to children yeah. and stuff like that. So um the clauses were like grandfathered in that said you can't sell this house to a black person from yeah. back when that was considered totally acceptable. And so as a result, a lot of these, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is apocryphal, but this is what our, I, I had teachers tell me, so yeah. adults presumably who knew what the housing market was like. And they were saying like, as a result, you could legally refuse to sell a house to a black person in 
at that time when we were like children. Like or 2000. Yeah. Early 2000. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would hope and... We're, we're not trying to ignore like the yeah. problems of... You know, no, no, I'm just saying, like, racism. I think that, well, obviously this boils down to having different ideas of about, like, politics and how mm-hmm. you uh, organize for change, you know, and I think, like, one of the things that worries me when we focus, again, whether it's about talking about white privilege or oppression or sexism or whatever like I think obviously those issues are important I'm also like a woman I know sexism is important and exists it's real yeah, like yeah. I've seen it I felt it yeah but uh there you know it's like do you think that like individuals matter and like will be like best uh rep like the best way we can change is like by having you know uh more CEOs who are, yeah. you know, black, female, and queer. Yeah. Or do you think that change is represented by uh, having just more people who can, by virtue of the fact that they are humans and American citizens, share in the wealth of like the mm-hmm. greatest, wealthiest country the yeah. world has ever seen? Yeah. You know, I mean, it depends what you see as change and what your ultimate political <clears throat> goals are. And I think, yeah. again, it's hard not to point out that Dyson has been successful in this version of America that definitely uh, leans towards the idea that, oh, if we just have more, you know, female queer CEOs, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. be successful. Yeah. And so it's hard, you know, it's hard to imagine that he would want to upend the status quo, just like every Republican, Mm -hmm. you know, every time. Like, that's why the CEOs of companies are always conservative as shit, because they're successful as things are. They don't want to change anything. Going back a quick second, I want to be clear that we're not, like, saying, oh, it's hard being white or something like that, Mm -mm. obviously. But, like, just to be clear where we're at, like... uh, I was talking about your suburb, right? Do you have more privilege going to this suburb or do you have less privilege because you're an immigrant? And the yeah. answer is, like, who's to tell? Right? Exactly. There's, like, this whole complicated mix of things. Can you compare yourself to, like, some upper-middle-class black person who is, like, a third-generation, wealthy-ish person from Harlem or whatever or like- prominent... Yeah, who went to Howard, right? Like, we were sitting and listening to two girls on U Street one time talk about how for the one girl, she was young, black, and queer. They were on a date, two girls. Mm. And, and, you know, they were talking about how um, one of them, like, for her birthday, her dad got her and all her friends a private box at a Jay-Z concert and, like, totally, like... Yeah. The, you know, they got, like, everything they wanted in the mm-hmm. box and whatever. It was, like, very... And I looked over, and she had, like, a diamond watch on. Whoa. So it's very clear that, yeah. again, like, in terms of privilege, I don't, you know... Yeah. Of and course, it's, it's like, it's blackness, true. you see it, right? So she... Just, like, it's, being a woman, people see that you're a woman. Yeah. You're always going to have to deal with some level. And, yeah, it's still true, like, that if she were driving through the wrong neighborhood exactly. in Texas and got pulled over, really bad shit could happen right. to her. But it's also true that if I'm driving late at night and some guy or whatever walking late at night through an alley and some guy wants to rape me because i'm a woman Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's what i'm saying like you start to just do oppression olympics it's like well in this case i'd be more impressed well in this case my mom is more impressed than your parents and it's not useful like that's what worries me is like it's important to recognize because of course it's important to understand different people's like 
life experiences and where they come from. And it, and also it helps us understand that different people have to overcome different things to even get to be a part of like a movement for change, you yeah. know? Um, and, and the different people have different things to bring to the table and, and why different voices are important. I get all of that, mm-hmm. but it is really hard not to look at that, I, that model for change and see just something that's never going to move forward. Yes. I will say that I think there is, to the credit of people who hold this sort of attitudinal position that we're attacking, like, there is a lot of work to be done on a personal level when it comes to race and sex issues. Like, at my work, uh, my boss is an immigrant, hires a lot of immigrants. She's a woman. Um, But I still feel like she gives me the benefit of the doubt all the time. Yeah. And I, coworkers that know a lot more than I do that are, like, uh, brown female immigrants get like um, she can respect. be really short with yeah, yeah not respect them nearly as much yeah. where I have done nothing to earn this respect right yeah. and I'm still getting it so I recognize that I do have privilege in that way yeah but it's uh, but also I came from a poor ish place in Ohio yeah and I went to like a poor high school so you know what level of privilege do I have and how does it compare to other people yeah it's not like an important question but I will say like there is work to be done on a personal level when it comes to confronting race and things like that that's what I'm saying it's like a different model like on a personal level do I think this is important absolutely but what do I think creates political change like broad social movements Hillary Clinton said you don't change hearts and minds you change policy right yeah and I do believe that I think it culture is extremely important but that politics has a huge role in shaping culture yeah and if yeah I don't know so, like, I, I think affirmative action is good, not just in the material sense that we had to overcome legacies of white people yeah. who have, like, an entitled privilege to go to Harvard or whatever, but also in the sense that it is important that you see other black people around you when you're one of these young elites coming up. Totally. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. And I have a lot more to say, but, like, I'm a little bit lost in my thoughts. Okay, well, we can wrap it up here for no, now. No, no, I don't oh. want to say, for sure. But um, I said everything I wanted to say. Yeah. One <laughs> thing I will say is this wine goes great with cucumbers. <laughs> we are drinking a Cremant from the Loire Valley. Yeah. We've gotten very into Cremants recently. We they really are, are delicious. We're pretty snobbish. I know. I can't help it. Neither can it's I. funny, like, we're talking about class issues, and we don't see ourselves <laughs> as upper class. We're drinking. But culturally, we, like, want... To be snobbish towards upper class people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although and it is interesting, else. like when you mention, for example, I'm like, oh, we've gotten really into Cremons, or we've talked before, I think maybe on the podcast, about listening to like a wine podcast and stuff like that. And I told you recently, I read this Jacobin article about the new Victorians that was talking yeah. about how, um, as like upper class, upper middle class, whatever people, we want to make everything like, like, uh, educational experience like you earn it like you go to um the orchestra concert or whatever to uh yeah yeah like, like the idea was if can i sum that up sure. i really loved it so i think okay. I, I okay. Can. the idea is that like um the bourgeois classes came about what 1700s and shit mm-hmm. especially in the 1800s and they were artisan and especially mercantile classes of people who were getting money for the first time and they didn't inherit money and the idea was that they needed to, you know, psych- psychologically and socially 
sort of demonstrate their worth over the people who had inherited money and been born yeah. with it by having better taste. Totally. So where rich people, where did we hear, oh, on that wine podcast, Wine for Normal People, she's like, yeah. these really sweet wines that people don't want yeah. are the ones that old medieval kings would have been drinking because yeah. they're sweet as fuck. And they're decadent. It was like yeah. a experience of your yeah. wealth. And... Kings wanted gold and sweet things yeah. and big legs of meat. Yeah. Right? And then middle class... Trump style. Yeah. And then middle class people came along all of a sudden and they had to set themselves apart. Yeah. So they said, no, we're refined. Yeah. We don't just, what, listen to music. We listen or, to the... Yeah. Like we the... go to the, we go to listen to music and we sit there quietly. Yeah. We don't go in and Because it should be an experience around. that like enriches you. Yes. You know? like, yes. All of this art. Meanwhile, like the yeah. people who had like inherited the wealth are like getting drunk at the orchestra concert because they're yeah. just they're there. This isn't a special event. Themselves. This is exactly, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. just a completely. But there's different... this middle class mindset where it's not about enjoying things; it's about things being enriching. Yeah. Or uh, up in your capital, really. Yeah. I feel like it's all about That's um, true. production, like yeah. the raw material of experiencing something, like refracted through. Your well, individuality. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but now, yeah, you're making it sound like we're, like, uh, developing our human capital or whatever. By enjoying wines and yeah, stuff. Yeah, I know. yeah. It's like, no, we're getting drunk, like, we're yeah, drinking. Totally. I mean, we're not always getting, like, wasted, but, you know, it's that's, yeah. what, that's what happens when you drink alcohol. Yeah. You know? But I can't help it. This is the way I am. I am snobbish. I know, me too. I want that's to because drink that's good, like wine part of, good wine and Yeah, that's part of our, like social experience yeah we only know. started drinking wine like a year ago and we've developed a lot of opinions about it <laughs> <laughs> to be fair we had a lot of opinions about beer before yeah. that and we like ran through so many craft beers that we we're like okay yeah. what else can we do yeah talking about middle class people and stuff i was uh well before that i want to say there's a really great article on current affairs that i mentioned to you um like it's, it's called something like an end to self-flagellating politics mm-hmm. right just uh, on the same track of what we were saying before. Um, it, one of the things towards the open is like this Arthur Chu quote where he's like, or a tweet, a quote, a tweet. He's like, uh, as a man, sometimes I feel like I just want to lock arms with my whole gender and jump off a cliff into the ocean. And uh, the idea of this article is like, this is not um, really a transformative politics. <laughs> this is just a way to make yourself look good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, oh, and the best part to me that really crystallized it is this Nietzsche quote she picks up towards the end that I was telling you about. Um, there's an old Bible quote where whoever it is, <laughs> I think it's uh, John the Baptist supposedly, said that um, those who humble themselves will be exalted, mm. as in like by God, by Christ, right. after the resurrection, when you go to heaven or whatever, you know. But Nietzsche sort of inverted it, and he said in one of his book, uh, books of aphorisms, mm-hmm. did you know Nietzsche? He I did didn't, not. Yeah, he put out books of aphorisms. <laughs> said, I want those books. Uh, he said, those who humble themselves wish to be exalted. So the idea is, um, I don't know, I guess it's clear. It's not about um, humbling yourself and really humbling yourself. It's about um, demonstrating a level of like self-hate and... Uh, self-flagellation just to um, just to like earn social standing and attention from other people and earn other people's I guess respect by on Twitter saying oh I'm a white like white people are the worst and this is like a white person saying it right yeah yeah 
yeah. So I wanted to mention that. No, yeah. I mean, I think that that goes right along with, like I said, like, you know, why people hate male feminists and stuff yes. like that. It's obviously, like, that. It's like a yeah. desire to show, like, oh, you I, yeah, yeah. I, sh- I should be exalted because yeah. I have the right views. Yeah. And I think that that's also why some people couldn't understand both, actually, the Bernie and the Trump phenomenons because as far as they were concerned, those weren't the right views. They weren't within the acceptable parameters. Mm-hmm. Bernie advocating socialism, work, working class solidarity, like s- saying to people, actually, like, uh, identity politics isn't as important as solidarity in terms of like a model for change. Yeah. And on the other hand, Trump, you know, yeah. s- insulting every race, gender, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. Uh, so I think like what happened was that those people in the center basically will keep just hitting on Michael Erickson because we've been mm-hmm. talking about him, but it's certainly not the <clears throat> only one. We're, you know, we're like, what the fuck is going on? Because yeah. I've been signaling my, you know, virtue signaling. I've been uh, saying the right things, Arthur mm-hmm. Chu, whoever. Yeah. And that has always exalted me above mm-hmm. everybody else to yeah. be invited on, you know, uh, CNN or MSNBC or whatever. And now someone who has views that are outside of what we've determined as acceptable as being exalted people are responding to bernie's ideas but they're the wrong ideas he shouldn't be exalted that's not fair he must be sexist he must be doing something wrong you know yeah like yeah because he uh wasn't deferential enough to that young black activist in seattle who took his microphone i mean okay yeah Yeah, let's not get into (laughs) but anyway uh remind me that I so I want to talk about get back to middle class values and talk about this article I read about Pankaj Mishra's new book and I think it was The Atlantic. But first, um, uh, let's see. You were talking about so we talked about Arthur Chu humbling yourself only because you wish to be exalted. Um, the Michael weird. Eric Dyson. Victorianism of middle class. Yeah. They also that article is really good. I think it's on Jacobin. It's called like the New Victorians. They also talk about like even like exercise and yeah, like perfecting your body. Like it's it's really a great article. I we bring it up all the time mm-hmm. when we're talking to each other about all kinds of things because it yeah. really like just opened our eyes to like another aspect sort of of class that you mm-hmm. felt invisible before. Yeah. So I would just highly recommend searching for it and reading it. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's good. I, wanna, I want to recapture something we were saying before we started recording. What were we saying like, um, let's see. Well, first of all, so let's go back a bit to talking about whiteness as an advantage. And obviously a lot of working class people in this country who aren't doing so well, even though they're white. Yeah. Okay, I know what to say. Before okay. I go into that, put a... We don't even need to put a pin in that. It's still on the table. But we listened to uh, This Is Hell broadcast last night. I don't think we even finished it yet, but it was really good. About art. It came out in like the past week. I have no idea what it was called or who he was talking to. But it was really good. And it was about um, analyzing politics as an art form, you know, including aesthetically and everything. And it made us think a lot. Um, one of the things we were thinking is, what a good idea that is to talk about yeah. politics as if it's an art form. For one thing, it doesn't matter what the intent of the artist yeah, is, exactly. only what the effect is. Yeah. And Which, I was pointing out to Adam, is very Marxist. Yeah. Like, what matters is material reality, not, like, the intention or 
you know, what the policy was meant to do. What yeah, matters yeah. is what it does, right? Yeah, like yeah. Bill Clinton's policies in terms of like welfare and stuff like that. It doesn't matter what they were intended to do. We know what they did. Yeah, That's totally. the important part. People's material reality. So Hillary Clinton may have had the most progressive platform or whatever. Yeah. But if you ask anybody what she wanted to do when she was president, nobody <laughs> has an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Because because all you can say is like, no, she was she was very competent. She would have yeah. done things competently. What she, would she do? Yeah, she had content, but the presentation of it was terrible, right? Like, if you go on her website, there are plans. They do do things, but, um, right, who knows what they were or what was important. There's no, it's like there's, there's a complete lack of attention to the aesthetics of her campaign at all. Yeah. Um, so, like, Michael Eric Dyson was saying, because he spent so long trying to defend Hillary, which... If you're going to talk about whiteness, why are you spending so long on Hillary Clinton? Like, there's plenty of... If you're going to talk about Hillary Clinton and whiteness, why are you only supportive of her? I don't know. Also, That's it's weird. like ignoring the fact that there were plenty of people of color, including, like, Nina Turner, like, prominently yeah. black, female, like, mm-hmm. you know, who support... Who, she started out supporting Hillary... And then saw Bernie and was like, oh, no, that's who I want to support. Like, she was going to be part of Hillary's campaign, like, officially. Yeah. Wow. Also, Also, uh, she was on the Katie Halper show recently. Cool. And she, they played, like, she did, she was, like, awesome. She gave a great interview. And then they played, like, a clip of her talking before, like, a Bernie rally, like, opening for him. And before that, Katie had said, oh, I was just really worried when you were opening for Bernie that you are such a good speaker that you might actually overshadow him, nice. which I thought, like, oh, cool. he's a really <laughs> great speaker. But then I heard her speech, and I was like, whoa, like, I was pumped. Like, we were getting ready to go out. It was, like, a Saturday morning, and I was, like, ready to, like, go march. I don't know. <laughs> Alone. Like, yeah. I was going to say, if Bernie were really progressive, he would have warmed up for her. Because oh, yeah. she's a black woman. Yeah, yeah. That's the way it should be. Well, if you were woke. If you were woke enough. Um, one of the things Dyson said in his little defense of Hillary was that, oh, people thought Hillary Clinton was boring. Well, she's not running to be your girlfriend. She's running to be president. But why would you want to run for president and be boring? That's not a good approach. I, it's not I a good strategy. I, I and if we're going to analyze art, if we're going to yeah. analyze politics as art, which I am ready to commit to doing all the time... Um, <laughs> Content is important. Yeah. You can't just say, like, oh, this is a beautiful artwork because it depicts a beautiful person. Yeah, and again, it is, like, saying, like, well, her intention is to govern competently. Yeah. Well, who cares? Like, yeah. what matters is what people see, and what people see is so, is empty. It's a yeah. blank canvas at best, if not <laughs> one that's, like, no, or it's like, a warmonger. It's like those artworks that conservatives love and oh, hashtag yeah. real art because... Here's a lake with a boat, yeah. and there's flowers on the edge, and there's a lighthouse yeah. in the distance, yeah, and there's like, butterflies, and, and there's birds. And it looks birds. almost like a photograph. Yeah. That's a competent artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's paying attention only to the content and not the yeah. form. Yeah, and I was saying to you, like, if we're going to talk about it that way, why would you want to run, or why would you run as a boring, competent why? manager when everything feels like it's in free fall. Yeah. Like that, though, that in terms of optics works well if everything's like running smoothly. Mm-hmm. And why would you vote for a boring candidate unless it's just to vote against Trump? Yeah. 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 But if, if, every, if like the country's humming along smoothly, 
then it's like, okay, yeah, we just need someone to keep things going. A boring person that isn't going to rock the boat is great because my life is great. Yeah. But if I look around me and it feels like I'm telling you, like since 2008, everything's been in free fall. But the person at the top who's running tells me America's already great. Yeah. That's the discrepancy there in terms of what she what I'm seeing from her and what I'm seeing around me is like so vast that just in terms of like again in terms of optics in terms of art in terms of how things yeah. look which to is me, important how it feels it's, it's it, she's a world away from me I mean yeah. she must be living literally in a different world because yeah. she's not living in a world where you know people who are our age not just can't afford to like you know buy a house or start a family they're they're still living with their parents in a yeah, lot of cases. Totally. Like yeah. that's that's difficult to grapple with. Like yeah, especially totally. just talk about on a personal level. Like you know we've been talking a lot about solidarity, but as a person, you want to be an independent person. You want to feel successful when you feel like you're basically a failure or having to move back in with your parents from time to time, and because things aren't stable yeah. in the job market. And then someone at the top is telling you, no, no, everything's fine. Vote for me so I can keep things going as they are. Yeah. Sorry. It's just oh, really no, that's good. Me. And I have two thoughts I don't want to forget. One, in the new N plus one, I was telling you I read the 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 first article from the editors. I forget what they call it. And uh, it's issue 27 for the record. Um, it's about going door to door and canvassing up to the, the election in Philadelphia. And obviously this is anecdotal, but they talk to one, uh, they knock on some, one lady's door. It's a, it's a black lady. She's religious. She's a conservative. She's like, I always vote Republican because I'm religious. I'm a conservative. I believe uh, there's too much government spending and taxes are too high. So you're here to talk to me about Hillary, but I don't know. I don't like Trump, but I think I'm going to vote for him. And I really don't want to vote for Hillary. But man, if Bernie Sanders were running, I would have voted for him. Right. You can't understand that unless you look at politics as an art form yeah. and as an aesthetic because it was about how she felt. Yeah. That's I think that's the title of that. Yeah. This is a, hell. Yeah. Something we're not about, smarter than what we, we feel. feel. Yeah. yeah. So like people just felt Bernie Sanders is there to fight for people. Yeah. Right. Um, it doesn't matter that Hillary had the right content. Oh, you, you voted against your interests. Don't you see? Didn't you look up her plans on the internet? Yeah. Don't you know what her plans are? No, I only know how it feels when yeah. I see her. Yeah. And that's not wrong. Trump, yeah. right? People are like, no, he's a billionaire. Oh, what? A guy who flies into Iowa and flies out on his own private plane should appeal to the working man? He's nothing like you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but they know what they feel. And what they feel is that he's like, saying things that no yeah. one's saying he's brash he seems strong he yeah. seems like he might actually do something versus again what we felt when we look at hillary mm -hmm. which which is what was which is what she wanted us to feel which is i'm very competent yeah. i can run the government i can do keep things as they are i'm not mm -hmm. interested in any yeah. big change oh 15 dollars an hour mm -hmm. Let's try 12. Yeah, 12, yeah. You know, maybe oh in some God. regional cities we could do 15. There's another great... That's there's not... A, I'm sorry, but that's not inspiring. Like, yeah. that's not going to move people to feel anything other than status quo. Here we go, you yeah. know? and so, boring. Yeah. There's another great um, current affairs article from Nathan J. Robinson in the last week where Jennifer Palmieri, who was Hillary's campaign person, or uh, communications person, went on CNN or something like that and just 
told he quotes this like long paragraph of nothing statements about how well Hillary got more votes and actually people like her more so we did everything right and we, maybe we should do the same thing next time. And in that statement, she says, I don't think people want $15 an hour. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And how fucking stupid. Like, obviously what she meant was, like, voters, right? Yeah. But what she said was, like, people don't want $15 yeah. an hour. Because um, this, this is how the art of politics is betraying you. You don't care about people. Yeah. You don't care about these people who are making a minimum yeah. wage. They don't even factor in when you said the word people. Yeah, because you've looked at enough graphs to see, oh, well, you know, those yeah. hourly wage workers don't show up to vote. Surprise, <laughs> because it's on a Tuesday. Yeah. How insane is that? Yeah. Uh, anyway, talking about Trump, we were saying maybe along those lines, the art of politics, the way Trump feels to people, not us, but yeah. other people, maybe Trump is... A fantasy president. Yeah. Because you were saying how... Like escapism. You mentioned, which is a great point, uh, Eric, Michael Eric Dyson said Hillary was boring. Who cares? Yeah. She's not your girlfriend. But, like, this is a moment where people are afraid in terms of the economy, in terms of ISIS and shit. And refugees. Refugees. And, people of all. Yeah, I know. But, like, people... The world is a bit in chaos, and people... Um, so we were thinking... So you said... Who wants to vote for a boring president when things aren't going well? You can only vote for a boring president when things are, are going well, yeah. and you just need autopilot. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like things are going badly. That's when you can vote for a president who comes out and says, actually, everything's great because we are good. America is great already because we are good. I actually saw a quote somewhere that said, in, the last, uh, in, in 2016, the last time... This few Democrats turned out was for Al Gore in 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But so we were saying um, super move, superhero movies, right, do better. Fantasy movies do better when people want escapism. Yeah. Trump did better when people want escapism. He doesn't, he's a fantasy president. He doesn't seem like a president. He yeah. doesn't do the things the president is supposed yeah. to do. Right? So, I don't know. I thought that was... Sorry, we're distracted because our dogs are being weird. <laughs> this uh, this big one just, like, slowly claws the older one because she wants to play so bad. <laughs> She's sweet. She's just very desperate for the love of our other dog. And yeah. poor Elva. Look at her face. She's <laughs> the, old, the bigger one has just licked her face. To, to, yeah. So it just looks all goofy. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, what do you think of Trump as... A superhero movie fantasy president. I mean, I think that's probably about right. Obviously, it's more like, you know, we elected the supervillain than the superhero. Yeah. But I think in terms of escapism, it was like a bit of this feeling of like, um, nothing else has worked, you know? Nothing, yeah. we elected like a black president with a Muslim name who promised us change and nothing happened yeah so okay like let's try this because yeah this seems about as far out of the norm as possible and it's it's not also, it doesn't seem possible that he also wouldn't deliver change you know yeah yeah also as you're saying this i mean obviously we don't believe in the swing voter we don't believe swing voters exist <laughs> no. we just believe trump energized more of his base and hillary didn't and that's what a fantasy does it gets people excited yeah well, yeah, I mean, I think they just really fucked up strategically. Like, when I hear that, like, people will say, like, oh, well, she got more electoral votes. I mean, uh, more more popular votes. votes. Yeah. 
um, but you know uh, the electoral college. It's like that should that should you if you are a Hillary supporter, you should feel ashamed. Like you should feel shame that the competent politician, yeah. the politician with the best resume to ever run blah blah the one who knows it's all a game it's okay to have different public and private opinions because it's all a game yeah that that politician couldn't understand the most basic thing the thing that i taught people when i would go teach like campaign academies which is how do we win 50 plus one that's all you need 50 plus one yeah that she couldn't understand that you have to have a strategy to get in just enough votes to put you over the top and that that's all you need to secure. Yeah. Not that you need to like jerk off your ego and try yeah. to win by some imagined landslide. Yeah. We're going to campaign in South Carolina. We're going to flip uh, New Mexico. Yeah. Arizona. No. Go to fucking Michigan. Go yeah. to Wisconsin. Like just win. That just is, win. That's a failure of competency. Like yeah. that's a that is supposed to be her strong suit. The wonks that we read about being in her campaign hammering out blah yeah. blah. blah. I don't. I don't know who was in charge of this strategy, but they, they really fucked up. And the idea that this woman, who the redeeming quality, we, we were supposed to ignore that she's a warmonger. We're supposed to ignore, you know, her history in jet, like just broadly, yeah, yeah. welfare, prison, whatever. Um, bring them to heal. Yeah, yeah. Ignore all of that because she's not Trump, yeah. and she's competent. That was like the two things she had going. Or being for her. against gay marriage. Yeah. And, and exactly flipping uh, in two thousand eight, she was against uh, illegals, quote unquote, mm-hmm. getting driver's licenses. Ignore all of that. Yeah. Forget that, because now she's your abuela. Yeah. And uh, the only things that she had going for her was that she was supposed to be competent, and she wasn't Trump. And they fucking failed on competency. I know. They failed. I mean, that is a failure of strategy. Like mm-hmm. that should embarrass the hell out of them i'd be walking in the woods in shame too if that were me like how about fucking basket of deplorables i know that didn't come off the tip of her tongue that's through her brain she knew she was gonna say that i know i know i think so speaks like because they were trying to separate the reasonable republican yeah oh yeah because she was gonna also get the all the republicans she was gonna win a landslide she was gonna win republicans yeah she was was gonna gonna flip states obama couldn't flip charismatic as he is (laughs) she was gonna flip them being a boring manager so stupid we need oh man there's there are a lot of things racing through my brain right now i uh that nietzsche quote led me back to a philosopher called handel hander herder okay he's a german who's earlier than that and uh he also the pankaj misha article that i haven't that I put a pin in, let me back to this. <laughs> Maybe I should save it. But he, uh, so Germany around the Enlightenment period had where they were hugely envious of France, and France was where all the culture was and uh, where shit was happening. Right. So all the Germans wanted to go be part of, co- of civilization, and civilization happens in France. And uh, Herder was actually, I think he might have been Polish, but he learned and he studied in Germany and shit. Anyway, he went to France and uh I don't know why I trail off when you when you walk away. It's hard for me to Sorry. talk just to myself. I had I to guess. deal with yeah, a that's little fine. bit. Uh she was just still harassing the shit out of Ola. Yeah. Anyway, the point is this guy heard her um went to the went to France, got disillusioned with the Enlightenment because um 
I don't know, he felt like there was nothing there. Like, all these French people are just slaves to luxury and money. And, like, I thought that this is the home of reason, but I went there and they uh, just have this, like, rationalist, individualistic um, attitude. And all they care about is, like, getting attention, you know, eating and drinking good things and right. shit. And it turned him back towards, um, A, like, fatherland, like, okay. nationalism. Like, he was the first German nationalist. And he was like, why are we, why do we only consider Greek and classical culture worthwhile? Why don't we consider German folktales worthwhile? And he, like, was one of the ones who brought back, like, German folktales and culture yeah. and stuff. And uh, I should point out that although he was a huge influence on Nietzsche and Wagner and you know, you can follow that line down to Hitler. <laughs> he does have a lot of quotes that are like, uh, the, the world owes a debt to Jews, and like we should basically pay reparations to Jews, and that we need to be like dangerous, that. Of we need to be wary of like nationalism and fascism. And yeah, stuff. but I also feel like that all the time when it's like, I grew up with tons of stories and bits of wisdom that are like Macedonian or maybe Slavic more broadly. I yeah. only have experienced them. Macedonian but you know and it, it feels that way sometimes too like sometimes I'll say things to you and I'll be like oh well we have this like saying or there's this story or whatever yeah. and it's like it, it feels the same way it's like well why do we only yeah. appreciate the Roman ones know, or whatever yeah. like there's, there's a rich culture here that yeah. taught me a lot that helped shape me that I think is yeah. valuable he was so also one of the first people to say it doesn't have to be just totally like crazy nationalist Hitler. I know yeah <laughs> I actually I want to read more about him because I'm like drawn to it even though you know it's like borderline national it is nationalism but like he um, he was one of the first people to be interested in how language structures thought mm -hmm. as opposed to the idea that reason is like impeccable mm -hmm. right he, th he thought, like, no, it's bounded by language. Mm -hmm. It's limited by language I and, and facilitated so. by language. Yeah. Um, it lives well, inside of language so, yeah. because that's the only way we can communicate with one yeah. another. So you don't have reason except through language, and right. it's like a limiting factor on it. So he also, um, partly because he had this personal disillusionment when he went to France, he became very skeptical of rational thinking. Mm. Um, and he was an early champion of like the importance of subjective thought. Mm. Um, that's talking about Hillary's campaign made me think of that because they obviously had all the numbers, they had all the graphs, they had all the people, they had all the money, yeah, they had all the data, data all scientists, the wonks. Yeah. all the wonks, but they didn't have a fucking feel, yeah, for politics yeah. as as an art form. They didn't have a sense of it subjectively, yeah, only objectively. We'll have the best plans. We'll have the best numbers. Yeah. We'll but have we the best But we don't understand why sending out an email saying you're a abuela is oh, offensive. Oh, yeah. That was something I wanted to mention. <laughs> Going back to Michael Eric Dyson, what's more offensive, Bernie Sanders saying we need to focus on the working class yeah. or Hillary Clinton saying I'm your abuela? Yeah. 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 Ridiculous. Yeah, no feel at all for politics. <laughs> yeah. And I think the feel for politics is important and it is significant and it does tell you what people are going to do. Yeah. You know? Um, one other thing about um, politics as an art along the lines of the Hillary camp along the lines of self-flagellating politics when okay there this has been said before like there are white people in the country who are not doing well who don't have a college degree or didn't go to a good college or didn't graduate high school who don't have a lot of money who are struggling 
And when you tell them that, well, you have white privilege, right? They don't understand it. Yeah. Um, that's been said a lot. But, like, we were saying, if you look at politics as an art, okay, when you say white people have an advantage, white people are privileged, you may not intend to send the message that, oh, if you're white and you're poor and you're struggling, it's your own fault. Yeah. You may not intend to send that message, but it's there. It's yeah. there in the work of art that you're constructing totally. with your politics. So just because maybe Hillary Clinton would be better for those people and, you know, not that Hillary Clinton really embodies that point of view because yeah. she struggles so hard not to embody any point of view, yeah. but obviously the people who support her do. Um, and you as a consumer of this art of politics recognize that you're not wrong to feel like, fuck this talk of white privilege and stuff. Yeah. I mean, you are, but like, it makes sense to me. <laughs> well, that's why we're having a long conversation about it as opposed yeah. to just sending out a tweet or something into the ether, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Because I think it is like, it, it is a nuanced thing to yeah. what we're talking about. We're definitely not just throwing out white privilege as a concept completely. We've, I think, maybe even talked about before in the podcast about how we had a whiteness conference mm-hmm. when we were in school, and it really affected both of us yeah. greatly. Like, we had read Cornell West and books about white privilege and stuff before that in our various mm-hmm. philosophy classes, but it wasn't until we really had to spend, like, you know, a week concentrated with tons of speakers talking yeah. about whiteness that we really felt like we got a, even a small grip on really the extent and an and institutional um oppression <laughs> that yeah. whiteness you know creates <laughs> yeah i think it's important to grapple with what it means to be white and what yeah. whiteness is in a way that is yeah, anti-racist it was, it was very formative for us it's very important yeah. it's just again i and that it's different to understand that personally or in terms of philosophy and ideas and it's different when you're talking about models for political change yeah. and, and how you actually mobilize people you know yeah. what like it is a bit like you know uh we were listening to come town recently <laughs> and they're joking around and saying uh are you just a mathematician if you do math and yeah. Like, yeah i think so and one of them was saying yeah well i do math all the time like i was measuring uh stuff for my windows yeah. and his friend was like, oh, no, dude, if you do math and then you do hard labor, you're just, like, a dumb contract, yeah, uh, contractor. Con- contractor, yeah. yeah. And, just or a just dumb a dumb labor. laborer, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a little bit like that. It's, like, it's one thing to be a mathematician, and, like, it's another thing to, to have to do, like, the material mm. work, yeah. you know? And, and I think, like, both things are important. We can't do the material work without the ideas. Yeah. But sometimes... You know, when you're, you you want to mobilize a broad base of people in order to get change, yeah. you have to bring people in instead of talking about ideas that ultimately focus yeah. on what separates people. Totally. Instead of saying, oh, there's a white and a black and a brown yeah. and a red yeah. and an Asian working class. The important thing is that everyone hates their boss. Let's focus on that first. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. let's get and rid of bankers. our bosses. <laughs> yeah. But get it's rid not of the even, bankers, yeah, and it's also, it's not like, oh, well, th- let's get rid of our bosses and then we'll deal with race. No, it's the idea is like we can do multiple, we can, yeah. you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. We can recognize that there are multiple forms of oppression that different people face yeah, and yeah. that all of them are bad. And we can 
have different coalitions of people that work on different mm-hmm. things. But when you're talking about a broad base for like a presidential election, yeah. talking about the working class makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What, what, especially like where, sorry, but just the, uh, Democrats see the working classes like, or I mean, uh, uh, see like leftist progressives, whatever, as like a captured group, right? Like where else are they going to go? Are they going to vote for Republicans? And then the other group that they have basically is, um, you know, Wall Street <laughs> and their donors that aren't racist, I guess, right? That's like kind of the one that's like, we're smart rich people as opposed to those dumb oil tycoons that support yeah, conservatives, yeah. basically. Yeah. We're refined. We're... But the reality is those refined people, where are they going to go? They're also a captured class. Like they yeah, don't want to go in the party with racists that, that yeah, lowers their point. stock, you yeah. know, like, like social stock. So we can't, I think if we if we find a commonality amongst the rest of us in the party or the group, let's say, I mean, I don't consider myself a Democrat, but whatever, we can flip it on its head and say, no, you guys are the captured yeah. group. Keep donating to us and pushing our ideas because, you know, yeah. I mean, I think there's also, anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, that's cool. And when we're talking about race, like what domains does race act on? act on for people in people whatever employment housing money right i want to police it i want to fix all that shit yeah not just for other people yeah exactly yeah not just out of the goodness of my heart yeah because i know that it's only a matter of time before police decide well we're emboldened we can yeah i don't trust this immigrant with a weird name (laughs) like there is too such an intersectionality between police brutality on Poor and brown people and activists. Yeah. Holman Square in Chicago. Yeah. yeah. They imprisoned black people there, Latinos that's the, and activists. That's the thing is like, it's weird when they talk about identity politics and then they ignore, yeah, like the, how, in how many, almost all of these groups of people, women, you know, gay people, black people, brown people, whoever, just by virtue of how our, country is currently set up are part of the working class you know all of the their lives intersect with like you know being scared about their finances because it's like i don't know only like the top one percent that don't that aren't terrified that like one you know medical emergency or giant you know mechanics bill is gonna like put them into major debt like yeah so Obviously, that's a, that's the thing to focus on is like people's like current material problems, and yeah. all of those tend to stem from yeah. being working class. You don't change hearts and minds; you change policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. I think uh, I did want to talk about that thing I was reading, but we're hungry. Yeah, I think we already covered that ground. Yeah, yeah. I'm starving. Yeah, <laughs> we have about an hour. Oh, okay. Well, let's. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So So we can just end it with a recipe. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> For Shopska? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, we were talking about uh, appreciating other cultures, so I'll mm-hmm. push my Macedonian culture. Okay. And uh, yeah, so we're making we're making some chicken, but then we're also making Shopska, which is my favorite salad and also, also maybe one mine. of my favorite Macedonian foods ever. 
and it's just really simple. It's just uh, you chop up like two tomatoes, one red pepper. One big, big red pepper. pepper. It can be green. It can be green. I like a red pepper. Um, four stalks of like green onion. And then we usually do... Did you say cucumber? Oh yeah, cucumber. And then we usually do like two ounces of feta and two teaspoons of olive oil. But you can adjust that based on your own tastes and mm-hmm. how much you like feta or olive oil. Yeah. And some salt. And you have like a really awesome salad that doesn't take very long. Which yeah. is good because like I said, we're starving. <laughs> if you don't have feta, you can use... We used something else once and it was good. Oh, Really? I don't know what. You, you should, should really use feta. feta, yeah. Ideally, like a Bulgarian feta, but there's a lot of really great French fetas, oh too. God, yeah. um, I like, like a sharper, sal- saltier one, but there's it's also not a really just great creamy cheese. ones. You have to enjoy it. It has to be an enriching experience. <laughs> you have to taste the terroir. Well, they're delicious. I mean, yeah. it's hard not to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, we've talked about wine. We've talked about cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Maybe next time we'll give a recipe for, um, shit, what's it called with the potatoes? Musica? Musica. Yeah. Yeah. Or Parjani Piperki. Yeah, that one's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's it. I don't know that the recipe corner will be a regular, just felt <laughs> like sharing it. It's here in front of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so that's it for now. We hope you enjoyed it. Hopefully you can hear me over the water. And goodbye.